right. So good. Wow. I, I, my soul was just grabbed and just put in front of the presence of God. Can I get an amen out there? Was that incredible? Wow. Love that. Hey, my name's Gary. I hail from the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I do have five daughters. Uh, we have, uh, my youngest is here, she's 13, but then the rest are out of the house. I have one as a junior at Cal Poly. Any Cal Poly grads in here? Yeah, right on, right on. And then I went to the Harvard of the West, Sacramento State University. But um, why are you laughing at that? It's like a true story. But, um, and then three are off payroll. Dads, it actually can happen. They're off payroll, they're independent, it's glorious. Uh, and I love being with you. Um, when I was most your age, girls, I was not following Christ. I didn't grow up with dads that would take me to a father-son, a dad, I only had one dad, but who'd take me to a father-son conference. Uh, it was my freshman year at the Harvard of the West, not a believer, and uh, it was a Halloween night, and I went to a fraternity party. I got to use code language here because we have young years, but not to follow Jesus, I'll tell you that. But that was my night that Jesus said, it's time for you to come home. And my life was rescued and restored at that point. And um, when Jesus stepped into my life, he brought gifts. It was amazing. And one of those gifts, I came back from that experience, one of those gifts was a heart for people to know Jesus who would never set foot in a church. I didn't know it was called evangelism back then, but uh, two nights later, I was in my fraternity meeting and I stopped the meeting and I'm only two days old in the Lord and I'm like, guys, it's not what we think. Something has happened in my life, and it has to do with Jesus. And, like, these guys started mocking and what have you that night. I didn't know. I didn't, no one told me I had to tell them this. My life had been changed. And then five guys came up. Three of them said, I know exactly what happened to you. I'm a follower of Christ. Two of them said, Gigi, I've been looking at you all night. You're different. There's something different about you, and I want that too. And we started a fraternity Bible study that night. My, my life was just, I, I don't deserve to be up here. I am an icon of grace. Um, and I hope you see that grace this weekend. And we're going to see it in an unusual place. Uh, girls, Jesus is all over the Bible. And uh, where I come from, our church, we used to say it this way. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and does the work of God. And I know not everyone in here might be a follower of Christ. You're so welcome. I'm so glad you're here. You're going to get a lot out of this. We're going to be in the book of Ruth. Uh, it's, uh, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Right in the beginning. And I am going to tell you, you're going to see Jesus emerge from this book in the Old Testament. I, I still have not recovered from studying this book. And I can't wait to hang out with you in this book. Girls, I want you to look at two figures in this book. One's named Naomi, the other's named Ruth. Right, we're gonna meet them tonight. Dads, I want you to focus on two figures in this book. Tonight we're gonna to meet a, a dad named Elimelech, and then tomorrow we're gonna to meet another man named Boaz, okay? And we're gonna have a great time. If you have a Bible, open it to the book of Ruth. If you didn't bring it, I get it, that's okay. Um, and then bring it in the other sessions, okay? So let me ask you a question as we start. How do you define a win? How do you define a win? This summer, uh, I was watching the Little League World Series. I grew up in Little League. I loved Little League. And um, two teams were playing in a regional semifinal. It was Texas East versus Oklahoma. And Texas East won the game but the winner wasn't Texas East. 
because four months later, and millions of YouTube views later, people don't even think about Texas East, the winner of the game. They think about a guy named Zay because of what he did in the game. Watch this. That's Zay, right there. So who won that day? Why is it that people are watching that video, millions of people, and spreading it around? Why can't they get over that? Why are my eyes watering after seeing that? This is probably my hundredth time I've seen that. Because how our culture defines the win isn't always the win. What draws us to that video, what drew millions of people to the video, was when Zay uh, really went and took a hit, obviously, but then, uh, in essence, went the next step in the second mile to comfort the opponent, right? That's how Jesus defines a win. You know that, right? He says you want to be first, be last. He says you want to be the greatest, be the least. As a matter of fact, Jesus clarified who the greatest individual who ever lived was. Did you know that in the Gospels? He, John the Baptist. He says there has never been someone born of a woman who's greater than him. Yet the person who's least in the kingdom is as great as him. Who is John the Baptist? A homeless guy who ate locusts and honey and got beheaded. Someone our culture would say is a loser. Jesus says he's a winner. In the book of Ruth, everyone that chose themselves, we're going to see him tonight. We're going to see another one in chapter 4. Everyone who focused on themselves was lost. Everyone who gave their life away wins. There's something here for us. So let's jump into the book of Ruth. Uh, I know we've been traveling. I'm just going to take about 20 minutes and walk through the chapter 1 with you. And let's look and see what happens. Here we go. It opens up like this. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled. Now that's a time stamp, everybody. Uh, that is for us. Uh, Jojo and I were just in Washington, D.C. last week. It was our 8th grade trip. And it's like me saying when George Washington was president. We all know, okay, that's 1776, right? In the days when the judges rule is a timestamp, it's around 1400 to 1050 BC. Uh, and here's what happened in the days where the judges rule. It was a low point in Israel's history. Look at this verse, what it says about this in the book of Judges. 
Look at this verse in the book. There we go. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. We know about Joshua, Moses' right-hand guy, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord. He died at 110. After that, look at this. A whole generation were gathered to the fathers. That's just saying they died. Another generation grew up, look at this, who didn't know the Lord or what he had done for Israel. Those were the days when the judges ruled. Look at this next verse in Judges. This is used twice in the book of Judges. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right. What, everybody? In his own eyes. I love that you said that. Yeah. Does that sound like 1400 BC or 2022? (laughs) Folks, we're living in the days when the judges rule. We're living in a day where, as a follower of Christ, um, you know, back when I came to Christ and stood up in my fraternity and told people I was a Christian, people snickered. People would call me at midnight and go, hey, Jesus boy, and just mock me, all that. But it was just around mockery. Now, when people hear I'm a pastor, I'm a threat to them because they're like, you're weird. What you're doing is, is hurting our nation. When did the gospel, the good news, become a threat to people? We're living in the days when the judges ruled. So what we learn here is applicable to our lives today. Well, what does it say? In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Just like we have a drought in California, they had a famine. And here we meet our first guy, first main character, a man from Bethlehem. Now, girls, dads, you know this. The Old Testament wasn't written in English. It was written in Hebrew, okay? It was a Middle Eastern book written in a different language. The word Bethlehem, and names mean a lot. The word Bethlehem in Hebrew means house of bread. House of bread. The bread of life, Jesus, was born in the house of bread. But in this time, the first irony of the book, and you'll see irony all over these 85 verses in the book, in the house of bread, there's no bread. In the house of bread, there's no food. In the place that God promised to bless Israel, and so he made them a blessing for the world. And they said, you know what, God? We don't want to be a blessing for the world. We want to do what's right in our own eyes. And God's like, oh, I got to get your attention. How do I get your t- Oh, I know. I'll cause a famine, and maybe you'll turn back to me. God doesn't want to punish them. He wants to bless them. And he's relentless in his pursuit to bless you, dads and daughters. So there's a famine in the land. We meet Elim- uh, Here we go. We meet the people. Elimelech. Together with his wife and two sons, lived for a, country, a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His name means, in Hebrew, my God is king. My God is king. Yet he's not acting like it. It's like people we know who name the name Christian, but don't act like it. And it causes confusion and pain. Not only that, his wife's name is Naomi. Girls, that's one of the people I want you to keep your eyes on. You know what her name means? Pleasant, sweet, sweetie pie, sweetheart. It's awesome, okay? That's Naomi. Everyone say Naomi. Okay. Now, they had two sons. This is in the father-daughter camp. They were at father-son camp. They had two sons, Malon and Kilion. It must have been a tough birth for both of them, their birth experience. Because Malon and Kilion, you ready for this? I am not making this up. It means sick and dying. That's their names. 
Imagine having a kid and going, oh, this is my son, or let's just call it my daughter. And I bring her in, and you're like, oh, you have five daughters. Yeah, I brought my youngest daughter here. Her name is COVID. You're like, what? Are you a freak? Okay, Malon and Kilion, that's her name. In Hebrew, sick and dying. They're most likely nicknames, but this is tough, man. I'd hate to have that name. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, and they went to Moab. Here's what's wrong with Moab. Moab was a cursed race. Moab was a boundary that God said, never go there. Moab told Israel multiple times, they are the enemy. If you go there, it won't go well for you. We tell our daughters, our five daughters all the time, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Who you surround yourself with, your closest friends, will impact you more than you realize. And um, um, Elimelech is taking his whole family, crossing a boundary, we call that transgressing, going past God's boundary, thinking, oh, this will be okay. In my four-pound brain, I know way better than God how to do life. Girls, we have a saying that goes like this. Sin, transgression, will always take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It'll keep you there longer than you ever wanted to stay. And you'll end up paying way more than you ever wanted to pay. I mean, this man, Elimelech, I'm sure it was a sincere choice. I just want to feed my family. But what he didn't realize is you can't, God's boundaries are to protect us and to provide for us. And so, here we go. Now Elimelech, look at this, verse 3. Naomi's husband, what? Died. And she was left with her two sons. Now why did Elimelech move to Moab? To live. What happens when he transgresses God's boundary? He dies. They married his two sons, Moabite women. Let's look at these names. The first one is named Orpah. She was kind of a mouthy talk show host. Just kidding. But true story, Oprah was named after this woman. Her mom got it wrong. Uh, her name was Orpah. The other was, now the girls, this is the one I want to keep your eyes on, Ruth. After they lived there about 10 years, look at this. Both Malon and Kilion also what? Yeah. And Naomi is left without her two sons and her husband. We're at the low point of the story. For five verses, we've jumped off a cliff. And when they transgressed God's boundary, it got worse and worse and worse because sin will always take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It'll keep you there longer than you ever wanted to stay. And you'll end up paying a price way more than you ever wanted to pay. Happy Mother's Day, Naomi. You've lost your husband and your two sons. And girls in that day, in the Middle East, in 1400 BC, your husband was your protector and your provider, your financial uh, protection, your provision. Your sons were your social security. They were your future. When you were old, they would take care of you. And now she's got nothing. And she's in a foreign country where she's the enemy as an Israelite. It's unbelievable. Then verse 6. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, what? Yeah, the famine was over, and she's in the wrong place. 
And she hears, oh my gosh, now God's favor is back on Israel. Naomi and her daughters-in-law are prepared to return home from there. Now this is the first mention of God in the book of Ruth. He's mentioned 23 times in these 85 verses. He's all over this, um, this book. But he works behind the scenes through what's called providence. Providence. God works in two ways on the earth. The hand of miracles, and that's suspending natural laws or physical laws or psychological laws or medical laws to provide healing. And then he works in providence, pro the deo. Video, the word we get seen from, pro ahead of time. Providence is God seen ahead of time and acting to be prepared for that, for what takes place in that time. Providence. You're not here by chance. You know that, right? You're here by providence. Before God said, let there be light, back in Genesis 1, he knew on November 11th, 2022, we'd be at Hume Lake. And he's been orchestrating events for this very conference for you. Because he loves you that much. My whole life is due to the hand of providence. Things I don't see in the front windshield, when I look in the rearview mirror, I'm like, oh my gosh, God was all over that. Uh, this is my family, my five daughters. It's Christmas. And those two pugs are female pugs, too. <laughs> I'm so outnumbered, you guys. It's crazy. I love it. So uh, there's numbers on their, sh on their uh, uh, shirts. It's Hannah, Mary Courtney, Elizabeth, Isabella, and then Jojo. Uh, number five is with me, and Jojo, uh, our family became complete 10 years ago this January. Um, when number three was with me when she was 14, we were in the Democratic Republic of the Congo uh, doing some work there. There's, um, there's schools, there's an orphanage, there's churches, there's medical clinics. Our, uh, the church I pastored for 24 years had a martyr over in the Congo, and so we just have adopted the Northwest region, and they're the most amazing people. But when uh, number three and I went over, uh, Jojo was three years old, and they became inseparable. And as we were leaving after 10 days, we asked the matriarch of this village, no running water, no electricity, how can we pray for this one? And the matriarch broke down, said she needs to be adopted. And I said, well, wait a second, we're building an orphanage, like why should, and she said, Gary, you know what happens out here to women. This one's special. Can you find a place for her to land? And I said, I, I promise you. you know, we have a church, I, I promise you. And the whole way home, Elizabeth, number three, is like, how about us, Dad? How about us? And I'm like, we've already multiplied. We have four kids. Like this is in, and I said, I, okay, let's do it. But I'm like, wait, wait, I'm married. My wife has to be in on this. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we came home. I said, Elizabeth, just, I know your mom. I, this is cool. I said, I know your mom walks with Jesus. And if the Lord's in this, even though she's never met this amazing little girl, she'll say yes. And God worked in her heart. So anyway, fast forward now. Here's what we didn't know. We didn't know what went into international adoption. We didn't know, especially in the Congo, that no one had ever been adopted out of the region where Jojo grew up in. We didn't know the walk that we would have to go. Every walk of obedience ultimately costs you more than you ever bargained for, but the blessing is so much more than you ever expected. Amen? And that was our story. Four times the State Department in this process, it went all the way to the U.S. State Department. They said, this is impossible. 
And four times the Lord said, I love impossible. Uh, at one point, um, it went all the way up to then Vice President Hillary Clinton, I'm sorry, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. It crossed her desk and she had to sign off for us to get our daughter. And so we didn't know that either till the end. And, and as we uh, went through um, the adoption, the, the time finally, we're praying, the time that it finally got um, adopted, like it was like, it's done. The State Department called me and the officer, the diplomat from the, uh, the embassy said this, the Lord is good, Mr. Gadini. Come get your daughter. I'm like, the Lord is good. And so we went and I, we booked a flight. I booked a flight, 24-hour flight, stop in Congo, pick up JoJo and keep going. And there was another hiccup, major hiccup. So it gave us a few days. So I'm like, I'm going to the embassy. I want to meet this Lord is good woman. And we went in. JoJo was with me. She, didn't sp she spoke Lingala. I spoke English, but we both spoke love. And we finally made our way to Officer Oni. And Officer Oni, I uh, said, she just started breaking down crying. She said, can I hold her? And I put JoJo in Officer Oni's hands, and she just held her. She said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And she looked at me. She goes, I knew the Lord was in this one. I'm like, the Lord is in this one. She goes, let me tell you my story. God's call on my life is to be a missionary. And I went to uh, Bible college. I went to seminary. And then God told me, I'm going to guide you in an unusual mission field through diplomacy. She goes, I handle all the adoptions. And when I saw your case come across, the Lord told me, you've got to advocate for this one. And she's like, Mr. Gadini, God wants this family together. Providence. Providence all over that story. God was one step ahead of me the whole, the whole way. And he's one step ahead of you. And we're going to see providence in this story right now. So here we go. She goes home. Verse 7, with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out for the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. We don't get this now because we hear road. Very dangerous journey. Three women, unaccompanied, by themselves, making this journey extremely dangerous. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, here's the losing part. You go back. I've lost everything. You still have your home country. You still have your people. You go back um, to your mother's home, each of you. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you that you will find rest in the home of another husband. She's praying for them. Prayers all over this book, and here's what you'll learn in the book of Ruth. All the prayers are for other people. It's called intercession. And every prayer is answered by the end of the book. It's just a great story. It wraps up so cool. How's your prayer life? What do you pray for? Let me ask you a question. If you were to do a prayer audit over your prayers over the last week, whose life would be changed beside you or your family? Who are the people that are praying for people, their, their classmates? Who are the people that are praying for people on their street? Who are the people that are praying for their enemy, praying for their cities, praying for the barista as they hand you that coffee? That pumpkin spice latte. Oh, who are those people, right? And I don't mean this in any way to be anything other than convicting. 
Every prayer I read in this is for someone else, and we're going to see that. And it's praying blessing. And I think in this day, in 2022, when everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, it's the people of God that have a blessing mentality that are going to win the day. So she's blessing them. May the Lord grant that each of you find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept out loud. And they said to her, no, 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 we're going back with you. We're going back with you. But Naomi said, no, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home. I'm too old to have another husband. Even though I was still, if there was still hope for me, if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you really wait around till they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No. This is a total selfless act. Listen, because that's what the people of God do. They win through losing. They give their life away. They give their resources away. They give their time away. They act in unreasonable ways that cause people to go, why are you doing this? I'm not used to this. The reason why Christians are a threat uh, to our country, I think, is because a lot of the headlines are followers of Christ that have done selfish things that are all about them. I think we should rewrite that narrative through our lives. And if you want to know what the impact is when you live selflessly, look at this, verse 14. They wept again, and then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and said goodbye. By the way, the name Orpah in Hebrew means back of the neck. Maybe it was the back of her neck as she was walking away that Ruth saw or that Naomi saw. Maybe that's where her name came from. But look what happens to Ruth. Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people, back to her gods. They They worshiped pagan gods. That was Ruth's story. That is Orpah's story. Go back with her. But Naomi's selfless act did something to Ruth. Now look, I've got three more minutes. Hang with me here. Here's where it gets good. She goes, no, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Because I've seen something in you that I want. So where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people will be my people. And here it goes. Your God, I'm turning my back on all the gods I've served prior to this moment. He's going to become my God. This is my, this is my life story. Today I'm making my testimony. Your God is my God. Where you die, I'll die. There I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If anything but death separates you and me, she's done. She's in. She saw something. How was it she turned to God? She didn't have a Bible. I need you to tune in. You know who her Bible was? It was Naomi. Girls, your classmates, your sweetmates, dad, your neighbors, your workmates, We are going to be the most vivid Bible people read. She saw something extraordinary in Naomi, and she's like, if that's what God does in her life, I want to follow that God. No condemnation, but I do have a question. What is the extraordinary that people are seeing in you? I think this is extraordinary. I think what you're doing this weekend Dads spending time with your daughters and loving them, 
putting a priority on that relationship, suspending all your other interests for a weekend so that you can build this core relationship, that's extraordinary. And it's just the start. Okay, let's land the plane. So the two people went on and went to Bethlehem. They entered back into the city. About 1,000 people back then, not a big city like it is today. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, could this be Naomi? Now remember, Naomi's a Jewish woman. So maybe she said it this way, don't call me Naomi. (laughs) Don't call me sweet, she says. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life bitter. I went away full, but the Lord brought me back, what? Empty. Empty. Is that true? In some cases, but who was standing next to her? Ruth. The biggest blessing of her life is right next to her, and she didn't see it because she was so pained. Let us never let facts or circumstances get in the way of reality. So Naomi returned to Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem just as barley harvest is beginning. Barley harvest, what's that? That's providence. And we're going to get to that tomorrow morning. Let's pray. I want to speak to dads and daughters every time at the end of every message. So dads, I want to ask you, how do you define the win this weekend? I really want you to think that through. By the way, just showing up is part of the win. You're here. But can you ask God to let this weekend be a win? That you would you would go beyond what's comfortable? God would give you moments with that precious daughter that's here with you. Girls, I want you to think through how do you define the win this weekend? What are your hopes this weekend for time with your dad? Father, I thank you so much for this book. Thank you so much for time together. Thank you for watching over us as we drove up here. Jesus, we give you this weekend. We pray that you would feed us and teach us and open our eyes to see beyond the here and now. Lord, there are people in this room, for them, it is a famine. Life is hard. And considerations are being made to cross boundaries that just shouldn't be crossed. Would you bring conviction to us and show us the blessing of following you? And Lord, would you fulfill the hopes and desires of each father and daughter this weekend? We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen.